Welcome to the Government Ops Podcast. I'm Rob Anderson, City Manager of the City of Fairborn. And I'm Megan Howard, Communications Manager for the City of Fairborn, and we are the hosts of the Government Ops Podcast. So you may ask yourself, what is the Government Ops Podcast? And really, it's trying to give everybody an overview of the different city departments, uh, what those departments do, what programs we offer, what services we have here. Uh, We're really excited to have folks understand and learn what we do as employees. I think there's a lot of questions that we get about our operations and what uh, what exactly we're doing at times. Uh, Some of those are positive questions, some are a little different, but uh, we want to really excited to share kind of not only the departments, but also the people that we have, uh, the wonderful folks that do everything on a daily basis. So uh, you're ready for this? I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh, So let's get this episode. And today we are talking with uh, Chief, Assistant Chief Ryan Williams, who has been here for two years. Yeah, a little over. So welcome. Yeah, thank you. So this is episode seven. If you tuned in episode six, that was police. We're going to talk about the other side of the first responder uh, page, which is the fire department. So we've got a lot to get to. Uh, There's a lot to talk about. But Ryan, why don't we talk about really just in a general sense, what's the role of the fire department in our community? Yeah, you know, we have such a, a diverse role in, in serving this community, but really I think I just... I just answered it. We serve the community, right, in whatever capacity they need. So I know in one of these podcasts we talked about the, the lifeblood of the community being our people. And yeah. so, so our job is to respond on everything, uh, fire and EMS, and we get called on leaking water, and we get called on people who just need help, and we get called on car crashes. And, you know, we're, we're kind of a full-service uh, organization, and without without our people, we don't have a purpose. And without our businesses and and our homes, we don't have an existence here. So the primary role is just to provide service, but we choose to do it with excellence. Great answer. So you mentioned some of the things that we do. Primarily we're EMS service and then fire responses, crashes, that type of stuff. What's the percentage, if you were to say, the ratio of those things? It's you know, when you see fire departments on television and movies, they're always running to a fire and right. put out this <laughs> blazing building. Is that really true in Fairborn? Yeah, no, it's it's <laughs> not. We certainly have our our major calls and our fires, but the, the percentage to answer your question is about 75-25. Kind of varies from year to year, um, but it's always in that 75 to 80 percent is going to be your medical calls. Okay. And, you know, those are all not necessarily real serious medical calls. That can be uh, a, a broken toe or it can be a major trauma or a cardiac arrest Uh, but that other percentage is your car crashes and your smoke alarms and your fires and you know those are commercial and residential so your business fires your home fires Um, so it's a but we really see see it all here in this town with our diverse uh, group and our diverse business population and the different types of homes that we have and so we we get a good variety of calls which provides for really good service providers because they kind of see and do it all we mentioned with the police department kind of the the benefit or kind of the thing that we have in Fairborn is we're located on major highways between two large cities. So we kind of get some of the big city things that happen here as well as the small town things. Yeah. Is that whole truth the same for the fire department? Yeah. Yeah, I think it does. That's a good way to put it because, you know, as we get back into Bath Township, we're going to see more of the, the farm machinery and yeah. some of the wildland firefighting, the grass fires and the field fires and things, so, you know, that we haven't, that we don't typically see in the uh, in the city environment. Sure. Uh, and, and density and population, of course, is different. But yeah, I think, again, we get a really good variety, probably because of that, because of our location and, and where we're at. And we've got an age demographic as well, right? We have our, our older members sure. of our community, and then we have our college, and we have a, a large youth population so uh, yeah lots of different types of calls that sounds like a lot 
I mean, we do get quite a lot of calls. What's our volume typically on calls per year? Uh, about 7,000, 7,000 a year. And we see a pretty steady increase normally uh, during the, uh, the COVID pandemic. You know, we saw a decrease in our calls uh, because people were hesitant, I think, to use the service and wanted to stay in and, you know, try to heal up sometimes. And when we sure. did see people, we saw really sick people. Uh, so less volume, higher acuity patients. Uh, and now uh, we're seeing our, our normal trends kind of coming back up. But about 7,000 calls a year shared amongst the city and all the stations that we have. The police chief mentioned that we have, like most communities, a drug problem in Fairborn. We're not immune to it. How does that translate on the fire EMS side? What part of that do you see uh, where he maybe sees the crime part of it? What, what are you guys seeing on that side? Yeah, we see uh, sick people. Um, whether they're, uh, they're battling addiction or they're really physically sick from drug abuse. Uh, and those patients can be really sick, and those patients can be people that we see a lot and we get to know. And uh, that's definitely a, a goal is to try to get to know those people outside of those calls a little bit better as a community and try to start to address that problem a little bit better. And we come when we're called, no matter what it is, right? It's mm -hmm. not like we pick and choose you call us, we'll show up. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, you call. We, I always said, you know, who are you going to call? And it's 911 because uh, you'll get somebody to kind of answer the problem. And then we're really good at, at passing the passing to the right people. You know, maybe we just recommend a plumber, but it's because we're not plumbers. But we, you know you'll get an answer from us, and you know you're going to get a response from us. And you guys get calls for any number of things, right? We mentioned the dispatch center gets called for... Hey, when's the 4th of July parade or what time are the fireworks, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you may get called for some things and you're like, well, like, you know, we come when we're called, but when you get there, you're like, well, right. you know, maybe this is something that we, uh, somebody else could do, but we do it, right? Because it's what we're, what we're there for. Yeah. I, you know, I always say, I got your back as long as what we're doing is in the best interest of the community. And we're not going to jeopardize outside of our normal, uh, jeopardizing of our own safety, you know, sure. which is something that we have to do. Uh, we're not going to be abnormal about that. But if somebody, if we're at someone's home, I can tell you, I've seen it many times. If we're at somebody's home and they've got trash that's overflowing, don't be surprised if we grab it, you know, just right. because that's the kind of people that we have. Sure. Uh, again, I said earlier, we choose to be excellent and provide excellent service and uh you know that's uh i think that's really unique to, to to us and our community how has the role of the fire department changed over time if if at all maybe it's been the same have you seen a change in the service that firefighters provide yeah, you know, it, when I look back, you look back at, at statistics, and what you see is that fires probably were more prevalent many years ago. And so as a fire chief, what you want to see is those fires decrease while your prevention methods and your inspection, your code enforcement, your education, uh, where all those things increase. And as those things increase, there should be a correlation, right, where your, your fires start to decrease. And when you see that as a community, you should celebrate it. And that's why we continue to, to push those programs out. The other side of the fire service is that we do risk analysis. We look around and we say, what do we have in this community that we need to gear our services for? You know, do we have, we have a railway in this community. We have a lot of things in this community that we need to identify and say, we need to be able to respond to that. Because again, we told you, you call, we come. And so you have to be prepared for anything. So uh, one of the, the new programs we're going to be rolling out is a water rescue program because we have a new need, a need that has come back into this community that we want to be able to provide for. So who knows in 10 years what we'll have, but our goal and our mission is to evaluate those things and be ready to respond to them. That's a good segue. You mentioned, so we cover not only the Fairborn proper, 
but we also go outside of our boundaries. Talk a little bit about what else we cover outside of Fairborn. Yeah, so uh, obviously we have Bath Township back now, which is really exciting. And that brings uh, you know different areas that surround the city of Fairborn that we're able to provide service to. We'll have all of Bath Township in January of 2023. And then we have mutual aid agreements with all of our, our neighbors and neighboring communities to provide service to them. And they do the same for us. We reciprocate that service. Uh, back and forth. We also have programs where we have people who are members of FEMA's Ohio Task Force One, uh, Dayton Region 3 Regional Strike Team, uh, Dayton Regional Hazmat. So we really are able to regionalize with our neighbors and we have a great relationship with uh, the Ohio Fire Chiefs, the uh, Southwest Ohio Fire Chiefs, the Greene County Fire Chiefs. You know, we really regionalize and try to make sure that we're all on the same page. And that doesn't even include all the things that our labor groups are involved in as well that we you know, work together on. You mentioned partnerships. Let's talk about mutual aid. So mm -hmm. when, when a big call comes in and we do have something that is a, oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? Uh, we're not alone out there. We, our folks, we get good response from our partners. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so if we, you know, any given time we've got crews that are out on the road, you know, you, you can't do 7,000 calls a year and, and be in service, have everything in service all the time. So at any given time, there's a medic or an engine or a couple of medics that are out, whether they're at the hospital with a patient or they're at a patient's home or, or we're doing a fire call. Uh, and so when those multiple calls happen, we need to rely on our neighbors. And, uh, you know, our, our branch out of our neighbors is really good, really vast. Uh, we get mutual aid from all of our neighbors. There's none of our surrounding people that don't come to help if we need it. And we're the same way. We go to them and help them as well. So whether we need a fire engine or a medic unit or a ladder truck or, you know, care flight or med flight from one of our local hospitals yeah. uh, or specialized team, we can always reach out and, and get that resource. We mentioned as part of the police podcast that Wright State has their own police department. They are part of Fairborn. They don't have their own fire department. So we are responsible for calls at, on Wright State's campus, as well as the Nutter Center. What are some of those challenges that you have to face? Yeah, so Wright State, uh, what a great place to be able to train. And yeah. uh, and uh, really a lot of pride. You know, we call the, uh, the Wright State Raiders, you know, that's our Station 4 crew there on Thunderbird. Uh, and... The nice thing about Wright State, not only do they provide that variety of calls and training, but they provide a great partnership for us as well. You know, we can go to the Nutter Center and we can not only provide service there, but we can train there and we can learn there as well, you know, in, in, a, in a, um, a building, an occupancy that most communities don't have. So Wright State, you've got your college kids in your dorms and your neuroscience buildings and your engineering buildings and just all those different types of facilities that are such a great resource and asset to our kids. Uh, but for us to be able to kind of call that home is, uh, is a neat thing. Great. So we talked um, with the police chief about our relationship with Wright Pat. And, you know, he had mentioned that mutual aid wise, police on the base don't come off and help us. But the fire department that we have, uh, or that they have, you know, we have a different relationship with them. Um, can you just kind of highlight our partnership with the base, with their fire department, and how um, kind of that mutual aid goes both ways? Yeah, right, Pat. Fire department is a, a wonderful neighboring community that we can rely on. You know, they they are on our first alarm fires 
almost all the time and they're always willing to send something but they've also got such great training resources you know that we can uh, utilize as well and we will certainly respond out there we do respond out there uh, but they're always willing to come out and provide assistance and you know we work very well together for the marathon and for some of these neat events that we have and uh, again another great opportunity what a neat neighbor to have you know and I've said that a number of times which should really uh, identify the uniqueness of this town they have some fun toys, too, don't they? <laughs> they really do. Yeah, we don't have a crash truck here. Yeah, so they got that one that's got the little spinner on the front. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty cool. Uh, let's get into some of the nuts and bolts. So talk about your staffing. How many full-time firefighter paramedics do we have? Yeah, so terminology-wise, you know, I hear people say a lot, well, uh, how many departments do you have? Well, terminology, we have one department. We're the Fairborn Fire Department. Uh, but we have stations. So we have four stations. Uh, station one, two, three, and four, and then we have the government center here where fire administration is located, and that's where the the fire chief, the assistant chief, the office assistant, uh, all work out of. Uh, on duty every day is a minimum of twelve people. We authorize sixteen on duty, and then there's leave and things that impact that a little bit. But every day there's also a battalion chief, a shift commander that uh, you see in the in the Tahoe riding around town and uh, we have that command component that's always there to take command of the larger incidences and they deal with the the staffing and, and things like that throughout the day. Um, in total what's that number come to in terms of the total number of firefighter paramedics and staff what's what's our number? Yeah so 48 plus our three battalion chiefs and then plus the chief and the assistant chief. Okay. So um, you know that's um, 12 people per day. So out of four stations, we're running an, an engine out of every station, a medic out of every station. Uh, and when I say engine, engine or quint, you know, right. you see the ladder trucks, the ladders on top, those are our quints. But those fight fire just the same as a fire engine does, has the same pump and the same hoses. We have four stations. There's some magic to why they're located in the places they're located, right? So yeah. talk about the strategy behind that. and. Why we do it that way? Yeah, so our stations, if you look at them on a map, you'll see this configuration that provides uh, certain, if you draw a circle around them, it provides coverage to really every aspect, every component of the city. Uh, we look at a lot of things when we do that. We look at ISO, we look at NFPA, we, we watch and monitor our response times. Uh, and we change that sometimes. We don't necessarily pick up a station and move it because that's really intensive sure. uh, to rebuild a station. But what we can do is if we get a higher population group in one area, we could change that response to be a different station where maybe that used to be farmland and now it's a highly populated area. We can look at repopulating those. But yeah, they're, they're strategically placed throughout the city to get them there just as quickly as we possibly can. You mentioned response times. What is our average response time on a call? So we're shooting for less than six minutes, you know, to, to, to get to get everybody there. Uh, I, I like to people to be out the door in about 60 seconds, 60 to 90 seconds. So uh, we do, these guys and gals do scramble drills all the time where we say go, and they get in their gear and they get in their air pack. Of course, they get in their air pack when we're driving down the street with a seatbelt on, sure. which is a, a neat thing you have to learn. Huh. Uh, they're able to get their air packs on, but they get dressed in the fire station. So when they get off that fire truck, they're kind of ready for anything. They're ready for that uh, that emergency where somebody's grabbing you off the truck because you just can't get to work quick enough, sure. and you want to be dressed and ready for it. So we're shooting for uh, for 60 to 90 seconds getting out the door, uh, really from the time the dispatch center takes the call until we're rolling in there. I'd love to see that six-minute number because that's just a really, really good number. Wow. Yeah. And that six minutes goes very fast. Oh, it does. It does. Yeah. I say on his end, right? Yeah. It's like a lifetime for somebody yeah. on the phone, but 
I mean, that six minutes is a remarkable number. I mean, you know, you it sounds like a long time if you're waiting in an emergency situation, but really that six minutes is lightning fast compared to some bigger cities and bigger departments. Right, yeah. right. We always say that, uh, you know, the, the citizens, when they call, we just can't get there quick enough. And we know that, you know, sure. but what we have to do is control ourselves. You know, we don't we don't go running and sprinting through the bay because if we slip on something slippery, then sure. we get hurt and we can't come help you. So, you know, we move with purpose and we move intentionally. And the same thing with driving. We're not trying to, to go 90 miles an hour to get there because we have to get there safely so that we can help you. Sure. Uh, but it does feel like an eternity. And I can tell you as a chief that rides in an SUV and gets there pretty quickly, when you don't have your full response force there, it does feel like forever. So you really kind of have that empathy for the citizen that feels like they're waiting a long time too. Next question I want to ask you about is our apparatus. You mentioned we have certain things stationed at certain firehouses. What apparatus do we typically use on any given day? So we have uh, two frontline engines and two frontline quints. The quints are the trucks with the big ladders on them. Uh, and then we have a medic in each station. So station one has an engine and a medic. Station two has a quint and a medic. Station three has an engine and a medic. And station four has a quint and a medic. So uh, at any given time, you know, there's, uh, there's four pieces of fire apparatus and four ambulances that are available. And uh, we have an incident support unit, we call it the ISU, that gets there to support the incident and the firefighters. Uh, it has drinks on it, it has heaters on it, but we also do our investigations out of that unit. So once the fire's over and the firefighters are rehabbed and everybody's healthy, uh, it allows the investigators to come in and do what they need to do, take pictures and complete the investigation and have kind of a home base uh, of operations there on the site. So it's really neat. And then we have our ATV and, uh, you know, here soon we're, we're going to have a new type of boat to do in our water rescue program and, and just keep growing. Let's talk a minute about training because, as you mentioned, uh, you know, when the call comes in, trying to keep yourself calm <laughs> uh, it may be a little bit difficult. But it goes back to the muscle memory that comes with training, right, that makes that such an important thing. Talk about the types of training you do and how much training you do because it's not like everybody sits around the firehouse, you know, doing nothing until a call comes in. When they're not working, they're training. Right, right. When, when we're not working, we're training or we're testing hose or we're doing inspections or we're, uh, we're talking about doing training, we're planning training. Uh, and the training is just a huge part of our job. And you, you say muscle memory. And many years ago, there were no real requirements set forth by the state on firefighter uh, continuing education. So you could go to school, and then as long as you trained per your jurisdictional requirements, you were good. Now, EMS has kind of been a, a little different for a lot of years. You had to have a lot of training for paramedics, and you still do, sure. uh, uh, you know, dozens and dozens of hours, which equates to hundreds of hours per person. But then the state a few years ago implemented uh, minimum requirements that are approved by the fire chief, the local jurisdiction's fire chief, on what hours they'll approve to qualify as continuing education. Okay. So firefighters, fire inspectors, uh, and instructors have to have so many hours. So what we do every every shift, you know, we, we do some type of training every day. Maybe it's a, a whiteboard exercise. Maybe it's going out and pulling hoses. Maybe it's getting an acquired building and training in that. Or maybe it's uh, doing rope rescue at the Nutter Center or right. off the side of the building or something. Uh, because, again, you just... You know, we say that the calls that don't happen very often are the ones that you have to train the most on. Right. Uh, we do a lot of medical training because we provide a lot of medical care, but at the same time, we don't have a lot of 
tower rescues, but when we do, that's a really high-risk call. So it's a low-frequency, high-risk, so it really demands a lot of time to be spent on those, uh, those types of calls. Can you talk about the need, you know, we asked the question, how has, you know, this job changed over the years? And, you know, it always cracks me up when we talk about fires are hotter, you know, and, yeah. <laughs> and everybody kind of gives you this look of fire is fire, it's hot anyway, right. you know, but there's a difference now between burning in 2021 versus, you know, burning even in 2000, um, you know, and so the, the training you guys do has to equate to that, you know, it's, it's got to be a learned thing of this is why we have to go in quicker. This is why I have to get to, you know, house faster. Mm-hmm. And it's not just fire. I mean, it's, it's other things, but you know, there's just been such a drastic shift in the nature of, of both fire and EMS that um, those trainings do require. So can you kind of, I don't know if I'm asking a question or more making a statement, but you know, there's just such a need for that continuing education. And one of those reasons is just the, the nature of how we have evolved as humans and just the, the products that we, we do, um, that we use every day. So yeah, that's, that's a great lecture. That, that was very good. <laughs> modern, we call that modern fire dynamics and, and you're, you're right on point. So we had the opportunity to bring underwriters laboratory out here and, uh, man, what an experience that was. And, uh, that's online now on underwriters laboratory, uh, our study. So it was the strip mall study. Uh, in Fairborn, and it was by UL, and it was such a neat educational experience that we got so much out of. And I hope that the fire service, not just nationally but internationally, actually gained something from that. And one of the things that we've learned with this modern day firefighting, these modern day fire tactics, is that the fires don't get hotter, they get hotter faster. And so that's the hmm. issue is that you know they're they burn hotter faster because of the fuels that we're using sure. you know we're buying uh pressed woods with glue and lots of air and lots of other uh you know gasoline based petroleum based products yeah. that burn a lot quicker so what that leads to is that uh, you know the close your door campaign that mm-hmm. we did here uh, a few years ago uh, we're learning that these fires find this path right to people as doors are open. So we encourage you in closing your doors when you sleep uh, because the fire doesn't care about the room that they can't get air from, that the fire can't get air from. Um, So yeah, our training is really, UL was great training and watching those UL trainings and learning about these tactics because something that we used to say, you know, why do you do this? If a new firefighter came into the job and said, why do you do this? The answer 20 years ago was because that's what we do, because I said so. And now what we've learned is that it's really good to, to engage that question. You know, why do we do this? I don't know, let's talk about it. Maybe, maybe we're not doing it right. What do you think? Sure. And, and I think that engages the, the, the people who work here too, you know, and, and it makes yeah. them see that we're listening to them and we care about what they have to say. And, and what I've noticed is even some of our, our newer, younger people have these ideas. Hey, why are we doing this? And if I can't give them a good answer and nobody else can, it's time to listen up and, and start to make some changes because of the way that everything's changing. Well, and I think, you know, the ability to go through these trainings that you do and, and to figure out, you know, why do we do what we do? You know, that translates into those uh, communications and conversations with the community. Um, you know, because public education is, is huge. Yeah. Uh, and to be able to explain to the public, look, we know 20 years ago that closing your bedroom door wasn't a, a good thing. It wasn't even communicated. That's not something that, you know, people are encouraged to do. But because over the years we have learned these things, this is really important that you do. Right. Um, you know, or other dynamics of, of 
fire or EMS. And so I, I think it's important just as they become trained that the public is also trained uh, equally and yeah. just the new ways that that this job evolves and even living evolves. Absolutely. I, you know, I keep saying that I want to engage the community so much that they all, they know us all by first name and, and they yeah. get sick of seeing us because I never liked meeting people on the worst day of their life. You know, that was always hard, hard on me because I wanted to have a conversation once, you know, everything's okay. You know, maybe it's a smoke alarm. They're really concerned about that smoke alarm and they should be. Sure. And we get there and we realize that everything's okay. And it's hard to have small talk. But I mean, when you've right. met somebody at Kroger's or you met someone at their child's school and you're able to then go on that call, you just immediately see, I've always said there are two ways we treat people. We treat people with medicine and we treat people with, with psychology. And when we go and we're calm and we're happy and somebody sees us and says, hey, I know that guy mm -hmm. because we're members of this community too. You know, whether, whether or not we all live here or not right. and we're all people and we're all humans. And uh, so taking the opportunity to educate every chance we have is gonna be something that we continue to do and really getting back to our normal as we're all kind of getting, sure. uh, tr trying to do. Uh, it, I'm excited about that because I think the community is going to see us an awful lot and uh, we will certainly jump on those opportunities to have those conversations because that makes us excited too. You know, I, I, it's really empowering as a firefighter to feel good about your job and take a lot of pride in your job when kids want to high five you. And, uh, and parents want to high five you and you get invited to a school. What a privilege, you know, to be invited to drive by somebody's birthday party and wave. That's such such a small thing for us to do, but such a big deal. You know, what a privilege to get that invitation. We're a bit unique in Fairborn in that our we're professionally staffed 24 hours a day. Talk about that difference where some communities may not be there, not to say they're not professional, but we are full-fledged firefighter paramedics from top to bottom in our organization. Yeah. How does that make us unique? So you're, you're right, and I'm glad you used the word professional because there are so many professional departments that are volunteer, right. that are part-time. You know, it's all about the firefighter. It's all about the fire department, the expectations of that department, the service that they provide. That's what makes them professional. We're a full-time department. We're a professional uh, full-time department, and we have been for a long time, right. uh, which is something we're really proud of, too, our history and tradition. You know, when the two communities combined in 1950, what, what a great story that is for people that haven't really explored that as, as community members. Uh, but we are one of the, the fewer departments that are all full-time staffed. Uh, we don't have uh, part-time firefighters and part-time firefighters are great. Sure. And, uh, you know, again, but for us to have that, we, we, we have one volunteer that has been here for 40 years, yeah. 40 years. Uh, he has been serving this community. And uh, that's something that we're really proud of just as much as uh, being a professional full-time department. So what does that mean? That what are, so our guys, Talk about the standard shift then. If you're a firefighter, you come in on your first day. What's your shift like? How long are you there? That kind of thing. What's that look like? We work 24 on, 48 off. So 24 hours on, you know, the example I always give, I like to say days because it makes sense. But if I come in on a Monday as a 24, 48 firefighter paramedic or a lieutenant or a battalion chief, I come in at 8 o'clock in the morning on Monday. I work until 8 o'clock in the morning on Tuesday. My 48 off then is Tuesday and Wednesday, and then I come back to work on Thursday at 8 o'clock, and I work until Friday at 8 o'clock. So at 24, 48 uh, schedule, and the day is just full of excitement and calls and training. <laughs> sure. And I mean, it, you hit the nail on the head. You know, we, we encourage exercise and working out and yoga and stretching and really being prepared. We say mission ready, battle ready. 
Uh, but the day is structured so that we, we show up at work and get our fire gear on the trucks and make sure the trucks are squared away because we can't do anything if we can't get there. So sure. we have to make sure that we don't have any water leaks or air leaks and we have fuel for the day and our air packs are full and our medical equipment is charged up and ready to go. Uh, and then it's usually off to a training or a public education event at one of the schools or a daycare. Uh, and then um, maybe, maybe a lunch at some point. You know, I always right. laughed when I, I said I was eating my lunch at 5 o'clock at night and my, my supper at midnight, you know. But, hey, I got to eat. Right. Uh, but that's, uh, that's what these people do every day, every one of their shifts. Because if we're eating the best meal you could possibly imagine and that call comes in, it doesn't matter what it is. We stop. We don't even right. take that next bite. It's time to go. You know, time to go to work, uh, regardless of what time it is, whether dinner's at midnight or not. So if if I'm working a 24-hour shift and I, you know, it's three in the morning, and a call comes up, I'm on. That's right? it. That's so it. If you get one call in that 24-hour shift, or you get a thousand. You're going to all of them. Yeah. And yeah. As many as you as many as you can make. You know, without leaving another call. Sure. Right. But yeah, three in the morning is no different than three in the afternoon. It's. And it's all year long you right. know they don't get right. holidays off right i mean it's you know there have been plenty of times we've had thanksgiving dinner and christmas dinner uh or started christmas dinner you know at the firehouse yeah. and yeah. off uh they were to go to another call and the families were sitting there just right. you know waiting for them to get back and so it's you know it's a 24-hour day job but it's 365 days a year yeah and um i did want to come back to kind of what he said with the career stuff though you know it's they are firefighter paramedics and all of them are that yeah. correct yeah. yeah now is that a standard within the state of ohio or is that just something that we have set for fairborn yeah that's what we do that's uh, that's our thing you know that we we are firefighter paramedics and uh it, it, it leads back to that versatility of our employee that firefighter and you talk to some big city firefighters and i have all the respect in the world for big city firefighters uh, but they often say you know we say wow that that fdny firefighter and that fdny firefighter is amazing at what they do but they typically have just one position you know one job that they do and those people say it when you go to conferences and things how do you guys do it in these smaller communities where you do a little bit of rope rescue and a little bit of water rescue and you fight fire and wait you fight fire and you act as the lieutenant and sometimes you run the pump and you're a paramedic right. my gosh you know that it, we it, it's it's really neat that all of our people are paramedics it's hard to find paramedics, but we're but that's still our goal. That's what we're hiring, and that's what we do. And it's uh, it's exciting to to be able to offer that. One thing I think the folks listening to this, I may not be familiar with, I think find interesting because I do. <clears throat> our paramedic, as a paramedic, you can provide a certain level of care when they show up on a scene, and that includes uh, some drugs if if a drug is need to be administered in certain levels. How does that work? We work under a, that we have a physician that we uh, work under his license, his or her license. Talk a little bit about that because I think it's interesting how that works out. Yeah, so uh, fire departments are permitted to have a medical director and then the paramedics operate under that medical director's drug license. And then we get our own drug license through the state of Ohio and we're allowed to carry those drugs in a bag that uh, the Greater Miami Valley, Greater Dayton Area Hospital Association manages. And it's a consistent bag in, in our area anyway, throughout the different departments and all the same drugs are, are in it. Right. But uh, yeah, we have a protocol that we do protocol testing every year, a written test and a practical test where we have evaluators that evaluate whether you've been here for 30 years or you've been here for six months, they evaluate your ability to do all the skills that we do. 
And then as long as you meet the criteria set forth in the protocol, we can give these, these drugs, this medicine. Uh, and some of these medicines are really, uh, really serious medicines, sure. you know, and uh, that's why the, the hours that are required for paramedics is just so extreme. And I say extreme in a positive way. It's good. I, I sure. want that, that amount of training. But uh, yeah, having a medical director and being able to operate as a paramedic kind of compared to a hospital environment is very different. But it's a, it, it, again, it's a privilege to be able to give all that medication. And I remember the first, one of the first calls I went on as a new paramedic, I gave somebody sugar. It was a diabetic patient. And I just thought it was amazing that I was able to help and fix that person. I remember that person waking up after I gave this medication. I said, man, this is, this is the real deal. Wow. Sure. You know, and, and we still get to experience that really daily. And there's, so the key point there is though, we're tested for proficiency yearly. So, you know, we make sure that everybody is up to date on the current methods and training and, and all that. I don't, you know, so there's a, that's part of the training is to stay proficient on all the medical part of what we have to do. Right. And we even, I mean, we even recertify in CPR, you know, and uh, unfortunately we do CPR a lot. Sure. Uh, and we still recertify in that. And we recertify in uh, lots of other things too, not just the protocols. To go back to the comment we made about having to kind of be everything when you show up to work, we obviously there's got to be part of some firefighters are better firefighters than paramedics, some are better paramedics than firefighters, and they kind of massage that as they work together, right? I mean, so we're going to let the guy who's, you know, the greatest you know paramedic kind of step up first if he, he or she would like to uh, on that scene, but that doesn't mean that anybody can do it. But we kind of it kind of works out that there's technical experts throughout the organization, right? Sure. So there's a paramedic that's going to be in charge of every call. You know, you always have an officer there, a lieutenant or a, a battalion chief, and that officer is kind of in charge of the scene. They're in charge of the overall stuff, but the the patient itself will be responsible, you know, uh, to the, the paramedic. And I, I say the paramedic, they're all paramedics, but right. the paramedic that's in charge, right. uh, they kind of take that. And the nice thing is, you know, it might be this paramedic one day and the person that was driving the engine another day that might be providing care. But yeah, everybody kind of, I think you find your niche in this job. Sure. You know, you decide that the route that I want to go is I want to go paramedic. I want to go pediatrics. I want to go uh, really, really uh far in the technical rescue world, or I want to go the officer development route and I want to kind of gear towards administration and explore the world of grant writing and budgeting and program management. But then when that bell rings and that light goes off in the fire station, it's jump on the fire trucks and the ambulances and go to work. And sure. everybody works then as a cohesive team. Let's talk about some of the resources that we provide the community, because that's a large part of what we do and not only just treating the community when they call, we provide some resources to them. Can you talk about a couple of things maybe that we do for our community if they want us to? Sure. So we have CPR uh, programs that we can offer to people. We, we had shut that down for a while so sure. due to COVID. And people would call and we would say, you know, we'll let you know. But the, that's back on the website, so that's available. Great. We have a really amazing, unique program called Operation Safety Net that's been in place here for a long time. I actually just found a, a VHS tape explaining our Operation Safety Net program. <laughs> it's great. I, I can't wait to watch it, but I'm afraid it's going to get messed up, you know, right. when I watch it. But that's trying to find a VCR. I do. I have a VCR. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I still have one. It's not hooked up, but I, it's vintage. Uh, it's vintage, yeah. Uh, 
And so Operation Safety Net is a program where we have volunteers that come in and they staff the phones in the morning and people can sign up for this service. If you don't have people that are around you or checking on you uh, and you'd like to be able to touch base with somebody, you can call in and say, hey, uh, this is this is so-and-so, I'm okay today, I'm doing well, and, and typically talk to a live person or leave a message. And if you don't call in, our volunteers are going to call you and they're going to make sure that you're doing okay. And if we can't reach you, we're automatically going to send a unit a staffed with paramedics to your house and we're going to check on you make sure you're okay and I can tell you in my time here I have seen I've heard fire trucks say hey we're out at this residence they'll give the address on a safety net check send me you know additional units we found somebody on the floor and they they break in the door and they help these people I mean and that's not uncommon for this program uh, it, I hate for that to be the outcome but at right. least there's a solution and so that's a, a, an amazing program that we offer. Is that something that other communities around us offer, or is that unique to us? You, you know, I believe it's unique to us. I, I have not experienced that in other communities, and I don't know of other communities that do it. I know a lot of people ask us about that program, but it's something that, I mean, even Old Station 1, you know, the old schoolhouse there on Broad Street, there were volunteers that were sitting in there staffing those phones, and there's some people that have been doing this program for a long time. Wow. And you really... Uh, establish some relationships with people that right. are doing this. You know, we take our volunteers out to eat uh, once a year as a as a thank you. And uh, what I'd like to do is meet the people that call in too. You know, because they've become uh, pretty well known to our volunteers. Uh, so CPR and first aid, and then we have all of our public education. You know, we do our uh, fire prevention week at Station Two. That's the uh, that's in October uh, during fire prevention week, and. Um, it, you know, we're, we're kind of just always available for whatever you can think of. You know, we say, if you see a lemonade stand, stop and say hi and introduce yourself. And uh, we just encourage that. Uh, but services, uh, you can always, uh, you can request a station tour anytime you want. If you're driving by or if you want to schedule something, pop in, give us a call up here at Fire Administration. Uh, that number's on the website. And we'd love to schedule you in and show you our firehouse. We're really proud of our facilities and our, our station. And we're really proud of our profession as well and, and to be part of this community. And folks can actually ride along if they want to, apply to do a ride along with yeah. firefighters on a shift? Yeah, so we have a ride along program where uh, students that are EMS students or, or citizens, I'll, I'll let the cat out of the bag. I really look forward in the next year or two to establishing a citizens academy like the police department Great. does. Uh, I, I think that that's just a great program that they do. And again, being a proud firefighter, I, we love showing people what we do. And it's such it's one of those jobs where you know what you see in backdraft and you know what you see in Ladder 49 and Chicago Fire. But what is it really like? And it's this kind of unknown profession. What you know, right. what do we do? I used to get so offended when people would say, hey, you're playing chess all day. And I thought, first of all, that would drive any of us crazy, you know, doing that. But there's no chess, you know, generally being played. Uh, the ride along program is something that people can sign up for and show up and actually just do that ride along and actually see what we do spend some time in the fire station go on calls because i think a lot like the police you don't really get an appreciation for what our firefighters do every day until you have a chance to ride along i was fortunate a few years back to actually do a training at the ohio fire academy uh, at the time and uh, i'm embarrassed to say this but almost literally messed my pants on one of the, because some of the stuff that they do is so difficult and so frightening to be in some of those scenarios. You don't really have an appreciation for how hot it gets in a fire until you got a fire coming over your head and you're you know in a training exercise. It's just 
I, it's give me a whole new appreciation for what you guys do every day. Yeah. Well, I, I'd say thank you to that because I think, yeah. you know, we're, we're humble people that I don't think we, I don't think we appreciate it sometimes, you know, I'll tell you when you appreciate it, on a day like today, when it's 90 some degrees oh, out and you go into a fire, uh, and you leave and you take your coat off and it feels really cool outside, <laughs> you know, that's right. when you know, it's, uh, you, you know, that you were in a, a hot fire and you, right. but the, the other thing is like Megan had said previously, it doesn't matter if there's a lightning storm or a hailstorm or it's 98 degrees or it's minus 10 degrees. It doesn't matter. Christmas, Christmas of last year, you know, it was really cold and snowy and, and our people were out on a, on a fire and, uh, we certainly, it was just kind of another day. And anybody with kids that's in the fire service, they have explained that Santa is really understanding of the fire <laughs> service and that some days are just better than others. Santa, know. he can go anywhere. That's On right. any day, it doesn't matter. Right. That's right. I do, I do want to give a slight caveat to uh, anybody that might go through your, uh, you know, Citizens Fire Academy or whatever you're going to call it. If you take a tour of the firehouses, you don't have a fire pole and you do not have fire dog. Right. Uh, when I married into the fire service, I was deeply disappointed that no station that my husband has ever been at has had a fire pole or a fire dog. Yes, that's correct. So, so if you could change that. <laughs> if I can just randomly install fire poles. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, so old station one there on Broad Street, it had a fire it pole. One, yes. Yeah, it had one in the back. And uh, that pole has since been moved just as a as a decoration to the yeah. front of new station one right. there on Broad Street. So if you drive by station one uh, on Broad with you know McDonald's on your right and, and the fire station on your left and you look into that front door, you can see that pole there in the corner and still catch a glimpse. That of doesn't it. count. It doesn't count. You're right. I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chief, in the police side, we've got school resource officers that deal with students on a daily basis. Uh, our guys and gals work in a program uh, to get students ready to go to school, the Safety Village. Talk a little bit about that and yeah. kind of what that does for our community. So we work work with PD on the Safety City program where we get to, you know, and I say get to because it is such a, yeah. such a great opportunity. Uh, get to talk to the kids about fire safety programs. And uh, that is a program that I was in as well. We did it at Five Points back when, when I did it. <laughs> Uh, and now it's at, you know, the, the old East and, ba uh, you know, Baker uh, facility. And so we work with PD on that and, uh, we do go to the schools. So during fire prevention week, uh, station four does a tour and we'll go to the primary building. Yeah. And, uh, this will be our first year really getting back into the primary building. So as long as, you know, everything works out there with them. Uh, but that's just so much fun to go and talk to those kids. I think. There, there were people there, you know, everybody's got their own personalities and there are people that maybe are more shy. Uh, I can think of one, one person who worked here for a long time was a very shy person, but he would get in front of the kids and he was just amazing with these kids talking to these kids. And it was like his, his, his niche, you know, sure. and you find that thing. So I don't know if I answered your question about safety no, city, did, but it's yeah. just another opportunity to talk to the kids and uh, something that we just can't do enough of. And I've said, if you talk to kids, your whole career while you're on the street, if you talk to kids during fire prevention week and every time you see them at Kroger's and we're high-fiving and we're doing the lemonade stand thing and you and you prevent one kid from getting hurt or, or worse, you've, you've really, what a reward. What a, what a great, uh, just such a great thing. And that's what we hope for. So two things. One, my point of reference for firefighting is emergency. Yeah, and John and Roy. <laughs> right. Um, talk about the administrative role that you have and that... Uh, your battalion chiefs have in the administration of the fire department, not necessarily the 
uh, wheels on the ground at, an, at a site? What's kind of the behind the scenes type of thing that you guys have to work on? Sure. So we kind of have two divisions. You know, we have an administrative division and an operations division. And our battalion chiefs each have major programs that they run, life safety, which is your code enforcement, uh, and your inspections and investigations and education and, and those types of things. And then we have the EMS division, which again is 80%, 75% of what we do, um, and protocols and drug licenses and training and things like that. And then we have a, a training battalion chief. So those are all kind of the operations side of things. And then the administrative side of things, which uh, both of those are, are kind of supervised by the administrative staff. Uh, the operations side, we have our fleet management of our fire trucks and medics sure. and reserve pieces and our inventory asset management. There's a lot of equipment on a fire truck. Uh, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of stuff that we right. have to have. And those requirements are not just things that we want or we need based on, on our operation or our risk analysis. It's things that we have to carry uh, identified by ISO and NFPA that we try to, try to be compliant with. Uh, so we have asset management and we have grants, you know, we're always looking for grants and grant funding and opportunities there. And then we have retention and recruitment and all those obligations of things that are, are fun and good. But, uh, you know, the state uh, ethics trainings and the things that we have to do and BWC, workers comp, uh, those big divisions. So it's it's a lot of uh, administrative work. But we also still get to go out on on the big calls and we will certainly respond if there's nobody else in the city and uh, somebody needs help getting up. And you see us responding there as well and sure. doing that. Talk about some of the challenges you have with staffing. I know when we talk to the police chief, they've got a lot of folks in their service that are about to age out uh, time wise, ready to retire. That creates a challenge in trying to keep those positions filled to keep the numbers where they would like them to be. Are you seeing the same thing? Yeah, yeah, we are. We, we have some people that have, uh, have decided to retire after a long career of right. service, uh, and so they've left. So as we fill those vacancies and, uh, and continue looking for these high-quality firefighter paramedics, it is, it's really difficult. Uh, the paramedics just don't seem to be there. Paramedics is an intense program. I mean, when, yeah. when you have the ability to give those drugs that we talked about earlier, those medications under a doctor's license, that's a big deal. And we hire level two firefighters, which is a high level of, of fire training. So they actually call that level professional firefighter. That's the title of that uh, level two firefighter class. So it's hard to find those kids when they can go to EMT school, which is a step below paramedics and maybe get a job at a department that hires them. So we're very happy for them. And, and we like when they call us and say, hey, are, are you hiring? And we hate to say, well, we're not hiring you because you're not a paramedic, but hopefully it encourages them to become a paramedic and come sure. and work for us. So yeah, we're, we're definitely seeing, we're kind of constantly recruiting. Sent Megan an email today about, <laughs> uh, about our recruitment efforts and really focusing on diversifying as well because the, the benefits of that is just right. a, a huge deal. I mean, you bring different backgrounds and different histories with people, and that brings all types of new ideas and concepts to the table. For the average citizen, why does it benefit us as a community to have a paramedic versus an EMT? Yeah, that's a good question. So it comes back down to that pharmacology, really, the, the medicines. 
Uh, paramedics get a lot more airway training, so when we're innovating people, uh, they get a lot more advanced airway procedures that they can do. And you know, you learn in basic CPR the ABCs, airway, breathing, circulation. And if you can't do something with that airway, uh, there's not a lot that you can do. Now, for the community, CPR, compression-only CPRs, is something that really is that's a huge deal. It's a life-saving thing. Uh, but as as professionals go, if we can't control an airway, uh, we're really limited as to saving that person's life. So the airway training and the pharmacy training, the pharmaceutical training, uh, are the big ones with paramedics. EMTs are very, very limited to just a couple of drugs that they can give. Uh, and the paramedic can, can give everything in that drug bag. Uh, we've had this conversation or made the comment that a lot of times our paramedics are the family physician for some of these folks. Mm -hmm. They. You know, they get called when there are various and sundry things that have to be taken care of. And a lot of times we're the treatment that they get for whatever they're dealing with, yeah. uh, good or bad. I mean, that's just the way it is. And our folks, you mentioned, you know, we get to know people that way. And we have frequent customers that call often and we treat them just like anybody else. That's right. Yeah, we want we want to try to figure out a, a better way, you know, to, to work with those people because we are responsible uh, to to help them. Right. And we want to help them. And sometimes just transporting those people or trying to be their doc when we're not, sure. uh, there's got to be a better way. And so that's what we're exploring now. I want to make sure we hit the one program that runs through the fire department, which is HyperReach. Can you talk about HyperReach? <laughs> yeah, so HyperReach uh, is a program that you can sign up for on the website. Uh, there's a link on there, and it and we actually just went through it, and, we and we're working through that the other day. And you can click on that link and sign up for it. Funny enough, I was not signed up for it, and I thought maybe I should be, uh, although I may be the one activating it. Uh, but, yeah, if you go to uh, the fire department's website on the city's website, which I know if you're listening to this podcast, that's available to you. Uh, and you can sign up for HyperReach, and that's something that we can activate for uh, tornadoes or other emergencies, and we can pick geographical areas, and we can pick uh, distances from a threat, something bad that's going on in the community, and, uh, and of course, that's going to be rolled out with a, an email program, it sounds like, so you'll have some opportunity to get some new communications from the City of Fairborn and the Fairborn Fire Department. And I think what's cool about HyperReach is it's not just for weather. I mean, yeah. it... I know our police department has put out um, geographical areas for missing persons, yeah. and within right. within the notification from that hyperreach system, often they've found the person in 20 minutes or less. Right. So I mean, it is really an, an advantageous program to be a part of and to receive those notifications just for all kinds of purposes. Yeah, great point, and it, it definitely has worked with the kids. You know, or not just kids, but missing people right. from nursing homes or. Uh, other other people that have kind of walked away that's a really quick trigger to pull mm -hmm. and be able to hit all of those neighbors and uh, you get a phone call that says we're missing somebody and you happen to look out your window if everybody looked out their window right at that yeah. at that right moment you got a good chance of finding somebody uh, and we have our we, we talked about communications we have our tornado sirens which mm -hmm. is something great in this community that every community does not have and uh, we test those weekly uh, sometimes if, if there's bad weather already going on on a Monday, we try to delay it because we don't want people to, uh, to be afraid that something real is happening. Uh, but that's, uh, we, we maintain those every year. We test the VHF signal on that. Uh, a lot goes into those tornado sirens. So we take those really seriously and, and great communication method. So you mentioned communication. We talked a little bit with the police chief about our 911 dispatch center. At one point, it had been at station 
one or two, uh, I can't remember which one here in Fairborn, um, but we actually did our own uh, dispatch. But now the fire department dispatch goes through our own dispatch center, which is also uh, coupled with the police dispatch center. Um, can you just talk about our relationship, the the people in the fire department, their relationship with the dispatch and how how like that works? Yeah. So dispatch is a neat place <laughs> to, to be. Uh, I try to take, you know, I've taken a couple of our safety net volunteers and new employees into that center so that they understand what goes on there. But if you call a non-emergency number or you call 911, you're going to go to our dispatch center. And our dispatchers uh, are extremely professional and well-versed and just creative people who can always find and navigate a path right. to get an answer or get you to the right people. Uh, they're certainly not a call center, you know, we don't want to advocate them as that. But if you call them, uh, whether it's a dog in the street or it's somebody that's locked out of their car, it's a major emergency, they navigate that. So there's typically two dispatchers, maybe three on duty, and uh, they're going to take your call and then they're going to route. It, usually one will assume the role of police dispatcher and one will assume the role as fire dispatch. So they're kind of doing our traffic while the PD, because if we have a major fire or a major event in this city, there are still other things happening. Right, sure. There's still a police officer that pulls somebody over for, for uh, breaking the law in right. one way or another. There's another medical emergency going on. Um, so those dispatchers really have their hands full, but they talk to us. We talk directly to them. Uh, we have tactical channels that we can use, so we may not tie up one frequency with a whole lot of radio traffic. We'll switch to another channel, and so dispatch may be monitoring two or three channels just for fire and then still trying to uh, trying to monitor the police department. Uh, but we have a liaison. One of our battalion chiefs in fire works directly with them to kind of navigate the changes that we implement operationally and make sure that, that it works for them, that new policies work for them. And then as things change, we have that liaison position and then PD has kind of the same thing, dispatch supervisors. And a lot of times the dispatcher, when you call, is doing a kind of a initial assessment of what's going on, which feeds information to the folks as they're, they're driving up, which is very helpful in making sure we can address what the issue is. Absolutely. I think calling 911 when there's an emergency can be really frustrating for people, you know, and that's, yeah. I understand that it's because people don't understand what's happening in the background. What's happening in the background when they're asking you these questions is it's taking you down a, a matrix of what to do and who to send. And meanwhile, a lot of the time they're already being sent. We're already getting toned out. We're walking to the fire truck. So we hear recordings of, of some of these calls. And people will say, please stop asking me questions, just send somebody. And the dispatchers handle it really well and say, I'm, I am, I'm sending them, but I, I need this additional information. Because when we get there, we know what bag to grab. Do we need the airway bag now? Right. Maybe we didn't before. Do we need the life pack mm -hmm. and the defibrillator? Maybe we didn't in the initial dispatch. So those questions are really helpful. But it can be, uh, it can be tiresome if you're calling 911 and being asked all these questions. But those dispatchers are asking exactly what the information that we need. Uh, and that they need to make sure that they get you the right resource. I'm going to ask you, Chief, the question that I probably get asked the most often from residents is why, when there's a call, do you send an engine and a medic? Yeah, so we used to send an engine and a medic on every call. And then as, as technology progressed and our dispatch uh, analytics imp uh, improved, we were able to say this call only needs a medic. But if it's a call like a chest pain or what we call a threat to life call, a patient having a stroke or a major car crash or uh, anybody that says they're having trouble breathing or a seizure, I could go on and on sure. with these calls, we're going to send that extra unit to have those extra paramedics there. 
Yeah, you know, I hear it too, Rob, that people will say, I, I don't have a fire, I have a sick person. And I right. say, we get it. But what you don't understand is that we're all paramedics. So, you know, if you're a paramedic, you can do the same range of skills. And you said maybe somebody's better than another at a certain skill, but uh, we send those people so that we have a backup. There are times where when we transport people from their homes, you need two paramedics in the back, especially if we're managing an airway and we're giving medications and we're doing EKGs, we need those two paramedics. Well, there's not three people coming on an ambulance. There's two people coming on an ambulance and two people coming on an engine. So if we need to send additional people in, they're already there. And, and we really do pick and choose what units we send on those calls because we do try to be uh, you know, responsible to the fuel and the response and to keep those units in service. If an engine is going to, an, to a medic call and the engine's not needed, the medic crew has full authority to get on the radio and cancel that engine. And that engine can turn around and go back to the station and be back in service. If the engine is already on the scene and a patient is, is doing well and we don't need them and another call comes in, that engine always jumps that call. I mean, I hear sure. our people jumping calls all the time. We have a lot of pride sure. in, in helping our own community, helping our own citizens. And uh, if, if they're not needed on that scene, they'll respond on another one. So the long, the, the short version is it gets us more people in case you need them sure. and they're already there. And as I tell folks, we're not really needing that piece of apparatus per se. We need the people inside of it. Right. And, you know, ambulance can only, a medic unit can only handle two people, right? Yeah. Maybe three. Yeah. But if you need more than that, you need more than one piece of apparatus. That's right. And if I took extra people from that engine and put them on that medic just to go on that call, then that engine's sitting there with nobody on it. Right. And sometimes we have to do that based on our daily staffing. But the nice thing about sending the engine is, like I said, if a fire comes in down the street while they're on that call, well, they're there with that right piece that's sure. there. And our fire engines, uh, something else we're really proud of, our fire engines, we call them ALS, Advanced Life Support Engines. So they have the same equipment minus the cot and the transportability as an ambulance does. So a fire engine has a first aid kit and a life pack, defibrillator, and a drug bag, and we can really get there and be uh, be pretty well set up. And this is an interesting differentiation most people don't understand. We have medic units, we don't have ambulances. Why is that? Yeah, so medics, paramedics, uh, there are some communities that call an ambulance a transport unit that is staffed with EMTs, emergency medical technicians, and medic units are typically staffed with paramedics. Right. Uh, so, you know, there's this terminology thing in the fire in the fire service. You got East Coast, West Coast terminology. <laughs> You've got tenders and tank, tankers, uh, and we call them tankers here. But anybody from outside of our jurisdiction typically says tenders. And, uh, and we have medic units. Now, if we say medics, people think paramedics, but a right. medic unit is a medic. It's it's the actual ambulance unit that you see. Interesting. I just want to make, yeah. make sure that was clear. I know we, we're very particular what we call things. Sure. I'll make sure, sure the folks knew that as well. Yeah. We went through with the police department, and we've probably remissed at this point. Let's talk about your funding. How's the fire department funded? Um, what does that look like? Yeah, so we uh, we have income tax funding and we have property tax funding and really the other big one is EMS billing. So there, uh, you know, some money that comes in from fees and services and things, but our EMS billing that's through insurance companies, uh, that's uh, that gives us a substantial part of our budget, and then we have an income tax that uh, just uh, we just moved up a couple of years ago, which sure. really helps us out. When we talk about risk analysis and meeting the need of the community, that is extremely helpful. And then we've got our 4.4 mil property tax levy that's gonna be on soon here with that's a right. renewal. Uh, right. So we're excited about that. And uh, those, are, those are really the big three for our funding. Um, probably the 
REMS Billing Company would be remiss for me saying this, but <laughs> the one question I get all the time is if a, if a medic shows up at a resident's house and they have to do a transport, they will get a bill in the mail for what the insurance company doesn't pay. And they say, well, why do I have to pay this? I'm already paying property taxes and in some cases and income taxes. Yeah. Uh, what's the answer to that? Yeah, well, it, so we, uh, our residents, we're going to soft bill you. We're going to bill you a number of times and we're going to ask you to, to pay the bill and then that's it and we're going to move on. Um, so the, the insurance companies, you know, many, many years ago before we started EMS billing, uh, the insurance companies weren't getting billed for this and it was right. something that we could have billed for. So it was a lost revenue, uh, which we discovered and it has since brought in a lot of additional money through those insurance companies. Sure. We always tell people, we're, don't don't refuse us if you need us because you have a financial issue. Right. You know, we, we have to be able to work through that at, to our residents. But if a, and I, I'm probably saying more than I should and thinking this, the finance director isn't here. Uh, <laughs> it, is an, it is a significant source of revenue. But if you are, let's say, on a fixed income and you're a resident and you don't have the money, we're not going to beat down your door and arrest right. you for not paying that bill. You can choose not to pay it and you'll be okay. Yeah, it'll go, it'll go away. Okay. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Again, I probably shouldn't. Uh, our finance department's probably upset. That the I was appreciating how you were dancing sure. around the answer. Oh, though. I'm I mean, sorry. I was, I was doing that. Very adept. I did enjoy that. Finance trained you well. I, I want people to know that we, if we're telling you that we want to take you to the hospital because we think you need to go, that we're not thinking for a second about your ability to pay. Correct. It's just not important. Uh, um, and that's just not our mentality. And that thing, that'll sort itself out on the back end, right? right? If you need right. to go to the hospital, go to the hospital. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, let's talk a minute because we've, we're very closely tied to the local uh, healthcare providers in this region. We're fortunate to have two emergency rooms really on our doorstep, uh, one in Beaver Creek and now one in Enon or Mad River Township. How important is that to us to have that those resources that close? and? the relationships we have with those folks. Yeah, it's critical. So uh, before Soin was was built, um, and obviously the uh, Mercy Health, we didn't have a, a close hospital. So the amount of care that a paramedic has to provide someone, the amount of medications that we might need to give, depending on your, you know, the, the, how critical you may be, uh, this made a big difference, and it didn't only make the big difference for the patient who was able to get to the hospital quicker, but it made a difference for our medic units to be able to clear that hospital and actually take calls in our own jurisdiction again. So if we're transporting, uh, we'll say, a broken arm to the hospital, and we've transferred care to that staff and we're writing a report, our crews will stop writing that report and go take the call, really with no delay. If they were going from a further hospital, we don't necessarily do that. We would go back sure. in service as we get closer. So we've seen a, a huge improvement in our uh, in our patient to hospital doorstep time, which is really critical with our cardiac patients and our stroke patients that we get them there within a certain amount of time. And the, the cardiac care that our people provide, being able to do these EKGs, and right. we've got programs where we can call the hospital and say, we are bringing you a heart attack, and they're waiting at the door with a team, and they get these people into the to the cath lab, and uh, just the amount of, of time that is saved, and you know, they say time is muscle, meaning right. heart muscle, and every minute that goes by is more muscle that, that the patient's losing. So having those resources here is just amazing. Let's talk about your, we haven't given you a chance to kind of talk about yourself. Uh, we're fortunate to have a Fairborn uh, raised uh, fire chief from Fairborn, lives in Fairborn. Talk about yourself. Let's brag on 
on Ryan Williams here for a minute. You've had a career in fire service that's pretty extensive. Uh, you've now come home to be your hometown fire chief. Yeah, wow. You put it into perspective, Rob. Uh, yeah, so I uh, born and raised here in this wonderful town, and I went to school here, and uh, now my kids go to school here, you know, which is something that I'm just so proud of, uh, and, and we still live here. So I started a couple of stories about the Fairborn Fire Department. I, I have a picture that I, I think we'll end up having to put on the website at some point after I say this. Uh, of me oh. in 1985. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 1985 with someone's helmet on. I don't. I haven't figured out who that was, but I'm standing on a Fairborn fire engine with my cousin and my sister uh, with a helmet on, and uh, in 1985, you know, and uh, and then I came out here and I was an explorer, uh, which is another cat out of the bag thing. We, sure. we would really love to implement again an explorer post uh, in the years to come. But I started here as an explorer, so I would do ride-alongs, just like the program we talked about earlier. I was a high school kid. Uh, I was over the age of 16, and I knew what I wanted to do as a career. And so I rode with Chief Reichert, uh, who spent 30 years here. I rode with him on a medic. Uh, you know, I don't know, once a week maybe I would come in after school, and I would do my homework, and I'd go on these calls. And I rode with a number of other guys, some, uh, some people who have just retired recently, and uh, a couple of people who, uh, who retired long ago. But I would ride with them as a cadet, and then I went to fire school, and of course I stopped riding along as a kid when I went to fire school, and I became a volunteer, and I worked as a volunteer and a part-time firefighter, EMT, went to paramedic school, and then uh, was hired by Beaver Creek, and I worked part-time, full-time, and went through the ranks in Beaver Creek as a full-time firefighter, paramedic, a lieutenant, a captain, shift commander, uh, and then was able to come out here. So throughout my career, you know, you talk about niches. I, I always wanted to be a good paramedic and a good firefighter, but I kind of geared towards technical rescue early in my career. And I was a member of Ohio Task Force One uh, Urban Search and Rescue. And uh, I was the operations chief with Ohio Region 3 Rescue Strike Team. And then as I got a little further in my career, I wanted to continue my education. So uh, credentialing and degrees and things became more important. And uh, and so here I am. And then you've decided to bring me on as your, as your fire chief. So uh, I guess you could say that, you know, I, I started off as a five-year-old on the front of a fire truck, and, <laughs> and here I am. So looking forward to the next chapter. Welcome home. Yeah, thank you, Rob. Yeah. Uh, Megan, anything else you want to, Chief, anything yeah. we missed that you'd like to talk about? No, I don't think so. You know, we're just, we're, we're excited. Uh, we're excited to continue exceeding, you know, exceeding the, the expectations of the community and, and not, not just of our, our colleagues and our peers, but of, of ourselves. And I think that's something that we're excited to do and excited about. Great. I mean, I could talk all day long, but. Right. <laughs> One thing we, we whole, mentioned, whole with, so we'll go down this path. We mentioned this with the fire department. That would be the role of the IFF union uh, that represents our firefighters, paramedics. Um, in particular, uh, there's um, a couple things that we do that didn't get mentioned yet. The service they provide to the community, yeah, uh, and there's multiple things they do. Can you highlight some of the things that our our local firefighters union does? Yeah, so the you know the formal things that we do, they do their their Christmas program, which I got to tell you, a, a kind of a personal story. 
uh, I got to station two when I first started here and I watched our people giving away thousands of dollars. This is our union that coordinated this thousands of dollars worth of toys to these kids that didn't weren't going to get any necessarily. And uh, and I had a little meltdown, you know, as this as this guy that grew up in this community and hadn't seen that need. Uh, And and that was just a really neat experience for me and just a whole new appreciation for our local who uh, just represents our wonderful men and women of this department. Uh, they also uh, they have the pink medic. You know they help run the pink medic. The city helps support that a little bit too, just with the uh, with the ambulance unit. Uh, but that works for uh, cancer, all different types of cancers. You know it used to be the pink. You know everybody was thinking mm-hmm. pink, and now it's every color because it's all different types of cancers. And they do so much fundraising and so much in this community. And I, I mean I, I could probably go on and on, but I'll sure. tell you what impresses me about our our union. Not only do we work so well together. But what you don't see, what you see when nobody's looking is what impresses me. Yeah. It's the it's the firefighter that's picking up trash in a parking lot on their off duty day. You know, and that's that's not only a local 1235 thing, that's a Fairborn fire thing. But right. I think that that's something that local 1235 has instilled and that pride and ownership, uh, which is what you know we we all want in this organization. Uh, so I'm proud to work with them. I'm excited to work with them in a new capacity. And uh, we're working great together as we... I think the number that I've heard with regard to the Pink Medic, it's tens of thousands of dollars for uh, cancer causes in the region and the Circle of Victory through uh, the Medical Foundation with the Kettering Medical Center. But that, that's just unheard of. I it mean, is. That's uh, something that you, it probably doesn't get enough attention, but it's and an I, amazing resource. I think what's neat about the Pink Medic is, I mean, it, it really just started with us. And then, you know, over the years, I mean, they've reached out to Red Pat, they've reached out to Xenia and Beaver Creek. Yeah. And I don't know if there's another one, I can't remember. You know, but, you know, now it's this collection of locals who are not only working within their own communities, but they're working collectively for people within this entire area. Yeah. And, you know, they've, they've had volunteers come in and make, you know, different kind of t-shirts and, you know, just to kind of sit back and look and, and to be a part of that is just really awesome to know that they're putting aside their own time uh, and volunteering for a cause that is so much bigger than they are um, and is truly helping people beyond this community uh, deal with just a horrible time in their life. And that's, right. and that's just really cool. That's right. And, and they do that on their own. I'm glad you identified that. This is not, you know, we conceptually support it, but they make it happen yeah. and right. they, they get their people and they, you know, when they show up to those events, I don't know half the time I walk into a station and the pink medic's gone. I'm like, yeah. oh, they're out there, you know, raising money and doing good stuff. And that's just a neat, uh, and, neat and thing. And they don't earn a dime extra and mm-hmm. they don't earn right. time. They're doing that out yeah. of the kindness of their Right, that's wonderful. That's exactly right. And uh, you know, they just made they just made a donation. Uh, I don't know if they wanted this to be to talked school, about or yeah. not, but they just made a big schools donation for school supplies. Right. And uh, you know, they they don't do it. Uh, they don't make a banner saying that we did it. They right. just do it because that's what they want to do. And uh, it's it's a, it's a neat uh, neat component of this fire department. And I think it's you know again I've been a part of this family for the last seventeen years and. Uh, when you say and talk about humility, I mean, it just kind of is all over the place, you know, within the fire service. And I'm sure it's there with the police department too, but they really are a humble group of people. And, you know, they always get the term hero thrown at them and every single one of them will probably deny it. Yeah. And that's not, that's not why they do this job 
for the most part. Um, You know, and I'm sure every department there's pockets that, you know, have their individuals, but just the, the amount of care they have for people and they, they are doing it for the right reason uh, is, is always fun to, to see. And, and it's for me and my family, it's fun to, to know that that's who my husband's working with. Yeah. Fun to be a part of it. Yeah. Chief Williams, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. This was fun. Yep.